Welcome to today's episode of The Power of Reinvention. Here we talk with my guests about the dreams, the visions, and the passions that individuals have every day and dare to explore them. Whether it's business or personal, you're entitled to live the life that you want, and no matter what the circumstances, you have the power to create success, fulfill your dreams, and live with passion. That's what I'm talking about. So dare greatly, and happy reinventing, folks. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Power of Reinvention. Thank you for joining us today. I'm super excited to have my guest, Shannon Pruitt, with me today. Hi, Shannon. Hi, Kathy. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. I am delighted. This is going to be a really fun conversation today. Shannon and I have known each other through business for so many years. We've had lots of fun interactions in wonderful places all over the world <laughs> because of what we do for a living. And for those who don't know Shannon, I'm just going to give a little background on you. So bear with me for a moment. But Shannon is the Global Chief Content and Partnership Innovation Officer at Stagwell Global. She has spent 20 years on the forefront of marketing and monetizing on every side of the marketing business, including global clients, distribution companies, and IP rights holders. She specializes in architecting and connecting brand and customer experiences that reimagine and bring to life how advertisers and intellectual property rights holders go to market and engage with their audiences to create value and growth for their businesses in everything from traditional publisher environments to web 3.0. She's passionate about inclusivity. She also recently built and leads the company's supplier diversity and sustainability initiatives for a more transparent and accountable investment impact in media. She's also launching a podcast. She has a very full life with incredible kids and just keeps us all we were just talking about, the juggling of it all that we do, and just has an extraordinary outlook on life and business, and we're going to touch on all of that today. So thanks, Shannon. I really appreciate you making the time to be here and have this conversation. Oh, it's really my pleasure and honor, to be honest. Like I've been watching you on your journey, and I'm so impressed and admire and respect you so much, not only as obviously as a business person, but as a person, a human being. So um, I'm really delighted to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I have to say that many people who know you, um, like myself, you make it all look effortless. Um, (laughs) You show up to everything and anything with a huge smile on your face. And have incredible wisdom and insights in the work that you do. And I want to kind of take you back to your early days, early, early childhood days. Um, Who was little Shannon? What did you think you wanted to do with your life? Are you doing anything remotely close to that at this point? And I think it's fun as we look at our children and through the lens of how they're growing and who they think they're going to be and the journey we end up waking up, waking up, 34, 40 years later going, hmm, not quite where I thought I'd be, but were you, did you? Tell me a little bit about little Shannon. It's so funny. Um, So I grew up modest means um, in a small town in Southern Oregon. And, um, you know, both my parents worked, neither, they didn't go to college, right? They, my dad was a police officer. My mom was a bank teller. They were divorced. So I had a lot of downtime, right? Because we didn't have all the connectivity we have now. So little Shannon used to read a lot. 
Um, I used to read and tell myself stories and I would write stories. I would get notebook paper out and write stories about what anything you could imagine. Right. Um, and then I'd staple them together and they would be my little books that I had written. Um, and you know, I think from there, I just love the sort of magic of storytelling, right? Capturing imagination, whether it was my imagination being captured or capturing someone else's imagination by forcing them to sit there and listen to my stories. Um, I love that. You know, and then we would turn those stories into plays. And like, so oh it's sort of, I've always been kind of in and around that space in my heart. Um, I think then I realized how storytelling could be really impactful, right? Because then I was able to watch television um, and we had four channels. Yeah. So this, this, the situation was limited, okay? <laughs> right. So, yeah, and Mr. Rourke on Saturday nights, the Muppets and some other things. Some, and that was soap operas. The other day I asked, um, I said, oh, that's like a soap opera to my 10-year-old. And she said, what's a soap opera? I'm like, exactly. Oh, <laughs> I love it. It's like, don't complain about there's nothing to watch on TV, kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you I have no like, idea. Oh, my gosh. Um, and so it's funny, uh, but like, I, you know, I basically was like, you know, when you watch free rain on Netflix, that's your version of a soap opera, right? Like there's love stories and all the things, but I also realized that storytelling could be deployed for good because my dad, as I said, was a police officer. And so I was really interested in law. Um, and I realized that like when watching television, you could see that people were able to spin stories to create something that may or may not have existed before and may or may not be the full articulation of whatever happened. Um, right. I love that. Imagination and, is everything. Imagine it, right? <laughs> we, and I say that all the time now, actually, when I'm talking to people, because, you know, I, I just in general, I really foundationally believe that, like, we all interpret whatever is happening in front of us or what we're hearing only through the lens of our own experience and the context that we receive from kind of the environment in which we exist. Right. So um, true. But always through the lens of like, what is my applied experience and, or my belief system about that experience. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think that was really interesting for me. And then I wanted to be an FBI agent. Cause then I wanted to like, and a criminal psychologist, because I wanted to be agent Starling, like everybody else who's my age now. <laughs> I love that. Me and Hannibal Lecter. Hey, hey, as, as we say in the world of reinvention, anything is possible. What anything. are you waiting for? Anything is possible. <gasps> well, it was really funny. So then my dad, because he was, a, then he like, he was actually the, um, he was the, the, he was in charge of the County, like narcotics enforcement team right. for a while. So he had all these ties into like big wigs in like Portland and all these things. So when I wanted to go in the FBI, he introduced me to the head of the FBI, like as I was graduating from high school and the pile of paperwork to get into the FBI, the application. And then my mom's right. like, get shot. <laughs> my dad's like, you're more likely to get shot as a bank teller than you are as an FBI agent. Cause you're going to be pushing paper, Shannon. There is no agent Starling. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, so, you're like, oh, forget that dream. Hilarious. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So then I went and was a business major for a year before I changed my major to Japanese in college, and my whole life changed. And what prompted you to change that major to Japanese? Yeah. It was um, so I was, you know, I was paying for my own education um, and okay. I was working yeah. 40 hours a week in a restaurant, yeah. Um, yeah. paying for school. 
Um, and I had loans and all the things, but, um, I was in, I, and, and I grew up, like I said, modest means, which was yeah. less than, you know, less than, um, less and than I just money. had always sort of that, you know, insecurity about money and, and never having enough. And yes. I was in any, I, 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 it was in a sunny day in Oregon, University of Oregon rains every day for like basically from October to July. <laughs> My <laughs> mother like used to live up there for a little while. I can <laughs> attest to that. It's true. We're always yeah. down. And yeah. also there are three days in April that are trick you into believing it's spring. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I was in one of those glorious spring days and I was in an econ class in my freshman year, spring. And the teacher was, uh, it was during the early nineties, right? So basically J Japan was in its bubble. Um, and the econ teacher said almost casually, like, if you speak Japanese, you'll never have to worry about getting a job again. And right. it's almost like what you would say now, you know, when people are training their kids to speak Chinese at three years old, right? It's uh, kind of like, yeah, it's, we are a global exactly. economy, right? Yeah, so, like be prepared. Be prepared, yeah. right? Be prepared. That's at what the I time, thought. right, that was really interesting because it wasn't like a globally dominant culture, right? Or population. Right. It was just that they were so innovative. Right. Yeah. In terms of yeah. all the things that we were consuming as part of culture and, our, you know, Walkmans and like all these things. Right. And uh, and so I was like, well, that is very interesting. And then I walked out on that beautiful spring day and everyone's in their sundresses and their shorts and and they're all streaming out of the business school. And I just looked at them and I was like, if I we are all the same. Yeah. I'm going to have to I can do I need to do something different that makes me different. And so I walked to the admissions office and changed my major. <laughs> Amazing. I love <laughs> that. That says so much about, that just answers so many questions about the you that I know now. Yeah. Like, this is yeah. you. I mean, I asked the question, who was little Shannon? Like, this says so much about the way you roll, as they say. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, um, right? I think it's funny. Like, I was never... Uh, I was always not, it's not risk averse. I would embrace yeah. like yeah. opportunity. Like I had this sort of, and I was very fortunate. The other part is who was little Shannon is if you ever read the outliers, you know, Malcolm Gladwell, and he talks about the yes. outliers, right. And the outliers yes. being yes. that the people that became identified were given more opportunity. And I was one yes. of those people. Like I know my yes. coaches helped to pay for my sports camps, my, yeah. You know, my teachers, Mr. A. Hall was like a life changing, got me into DECA and I started a company when I was 17 years old and we won nationals, right? Like, wow. It was, and, and all because he was like, this isn't the best work you can do. Do better. Right. And you were challenged and you leaned into it. And to your point, like you said, like you, you're an opportunist, you, you sort of see the moment and it's an adventure. I mean, look, I spent my whole life moving from country to country and school to school and making yeah. new friends. And for me, it was like, wow, what an adventure for some people. That's terrible. The, the polar opposite. It could be yeah. terrifying for yeah. me. And this, my whole life has been like, what's new, what's different and what can I try? Yeah. And you know, that that's kind of a wonderful trait to have. And I talk a lot about that in my book where I'm like, just put on a pair of rose colored glasses for five minutes and try something that you're not typically comfortable with yeah. and see what comes with that. 
you know, yeah. without that little bit of risk or that little bit of, bit of getting out of the comfort zone, you won't get the reward. And yeah. it sounds like you've sort of leaned into those moments in a huge way. Well, it's like you so said, when you were right? coming, you say like, what if, right? Like, what if? Yeah. I love that. I love that. What? So when you were coming out of college, what was sort of that, okay, here's now what I'm going to do with my life? Were, were yeah. you clear in that? Were Great you question. stumbling <laughs> through it? A little of both, <laughs> right? A little of the both. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Around, I know. Well, around the same time, actually, in college, I started taking my sophomore year um, some sports business classes because sports marketing was sort of founded at Oregon, not not in the sports administration space. But it, there was a, a man named Jim Warsaw who had a hat, like merchandising company. He did all the hats and T-shirts for when, you know, a sports team win the championships. They produce all yeah. of them, right? And they had sold their company to Nike. And obviously, University of Oregon, very well funded by Nike, et cetera. Of course. Um, yeah. And Jim started this sports business program. And there was a professor there named Rick Burton, who now is at Syracuse, who also is one of those people who basically was like, yes, you, your mind is working in the right way. And if you introduce the concept, you connect the dots and then you go, right? Then you do. And he really became my advocate in that, like, I was like, oh, I really like event marketing. This is so interesting. So I started, you know, I would go to Trailblazers games and I'd run around for Bill Walton trying to find him a hot dog or, you know, (laughs) Greg Gumpel became my way of actually getting an internship in Japan at the Nagano Olympics with CBS Sports because I, I mean, he is such a lovely human. Um, and but you showed up, you showed yeah, up, you, yeah. you, you didn't wait for it to show up. You, you showed up, you show up. And I think that has, is sort of the consistent, which is like, you show up with good energy, curiosity. You may not always love the assignment, right? But like where you can, and you can look at it as a learning opportunity, people see that in you. Right. And yeah. then that attracts I really believe also in like the law of attraction, right? That attracts 100%. good things. Um, and so what happened, I ended up like someone, one of my teachers was like, you should apply to go to this JET program, which is a Japanese exchange teaching program. It's really hard to get into, but you know, you can give it a whirl. And I wasn't getting A's in Japanese. I was getting like strong B's, <laughs> but like real <laughs> strong and had to work really hard and stay an extra right. year and like all the things. My roommate, my roommate in college, just so you know, I have an appreciation for what you must have, your brain must have been going through. My roommate in college, one of my closest friends was Japanese, an American born Japanese. So her quest was to learn Japanese oh, in college. Yes. That's why I kind of asked that. And for very much the same reasons, understanding where the future of business was going and felt that it would be really valuable, just not because her family was Japanese, but for business reasons. And I would sit with her, you know, with her stack of 400, you know, index cards, learning every single letter and symbol. And I'm like, I speak three different languages, but this... This is like a whole, this is off the, off the reservation. I it cannot. is wild. It's wild. Yeah. Right. But so, you have an appreciation for that. Right. So completely. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I went there and then I realized I really wanted to work in event marketing. So Rick Burton came back around and he was like, listen, if you want to go to graduate school, cause I was really bad at standardized test taking and I right. was really not a great, I didn't have great grades. 
right? I mean, a decent grades, not great grades. Yeah. Right. Uh, for one of the most competitive sports business schools in the country, right? They don't take a huge class. And he's like, if you get a 610 on the GMAT, I will personally go to the dean and tell him that you are, and you do all that your applications are great and whatever. Yeah. And I went into Tokyo every weekend and I learned how to take that test. And I came out and I got like 620 and I nailed the essays, which is never the problem. And I got in and that was really like, a really tran- like pivotal moment, I think, for me, because I was like, oh, you can do the things. You can this, get an A in regression yeah. analysis, even though you suck at calculus in undergrad <laughs> and you avoid it. Right. right? Like it, anything is possible. Anything if you really is really apply possible. yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a big aha moment. Also other people believe in you, right? That's the other exactly. part. It, it is knowing. Yeah. I mean, look, I always say to people, you can teach people. You can't teach people how to be passionate and um, to to sort of lean in and, and have that kind of quality of person. You can teach skills. You can teach yep. how to do things. But that is a part of us, and you clearly are that person. And on top of it, you then applied yourself and was able to really succeed in, in you know, showing up that way. I mean, it's incredible. Oh, thanks. I mean, it's been fun, right? I've, I've so many things happened from there, like confidence, how I got my first job, like all of the things I've done since then, which is like a windy road of like, what? What? You went from there to there? Like explaining it to a recruiter was always like, how much time do you have? And what box are you in? Right. <laughs> okay. So you bring up a really good point about that. And I want to just kind of dig into that for a moment, because a lot of people have this fear that you've got to stay the course with what you're doing. People won't understand what box to put you in. When you were kind of confronted with those moments, and clearly it sounds like I won't say you didn't care, but you kind of took advantage of being that person, right? And say, no, this is what I want. I have a strong sense of where I want to put That's kind of scary too. There's a little risk in yes. that. How did you, How did you sort of deal with that, knowing that you may have been putting yourself at a, at a place of risk for certain jobs or putting yourself in the running for something that maybe everybody had a background that was more set for that, but yet you still put yourself on the line to go do that, even if it meant you may not get that position because of all those reasons. Yeah. What, what gave you the courage and the fortitude to kind of go there? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think because my first, my second job, right? So my first job was working on World Cup for MasterCard at Octagon. So packaging yeah. and selling, right? And when I went to World work for Cup, seven, four, what year? Uh, 2002, Japan and Korea. Oh, okay. Okay. Because I worked um, on World Cup 94. Oh, that's right. We US. talked about that. I remember. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I'm like, older. Yeah. You were probably still in high school at that point. <laughs> Just, <laughs> just, yeah. um, okay. no, I was actually in college. I had just, I was in college. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. See, but I was saying, you know, I was maybe like a sophomore, yeah. right? Okay. Um, so sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's so fun, right. To think, because I also think these things are very formative, right? Like you yeah. and I had different experiences, but have the same taste for what that experience was like. Right. Um, yeah, which is very, huge. all those I things mean, are very defining. 
there really, and the community that you become a part of. I mean, yeah. I, I call them the big ta-da events, the Super Bowls, the World Cups, the Olympics, the political campaigns. Like you're in the trenches with people for months in and months out, yeah. rallying around a common cause, a destination, yeah. a you know, cumulative set of dates and the intensity and the teams. Yeah. And it's like summer camp with, with a very, very busy work schedule. You yeah. know, and, it, totally. and you're in the trenches and you make lifelong friends um, in yeah. those trenches with those people. Yeah. I and mean, it's really intriguing. It's, it's really special. I think it also starts to give you a sense of when culture is special, right? Like I never answered your original question, but I think, yeah, sorry. You know, the, no, no, it's fine. Cause I, think I, <laughs> I was like, that was me. I took us on a tangent. That was me. not surprising. I'm like, Oh, let's chase that white rabbit down the hole. <laughs> um, but you know, I think, I think that's why, but I think it kind of goes back to also your question, which is, you know, I really, per, I believe, and now I know, right? Because those jobs, what they taught me is that packaging and selling is everything. If you can package disparate thoughts, data points, whatever, into a story, you can sell it if you understand what your audience values, right? 100%. And I think what I realized is like, I would tell people about my experience and then they would put me in a box. Like I'm very crystal clear. Remember, I was trying to get a job. And I was working at Octagon. I wasn't trying. I was just being asked, right? And I was like, oh, they're like, well, what do you do? I'm like, well, I, you know, work on MasterCard sponsorship of World Cup. And it's like fascinating because it's event market. It's literally a global idea that you literally translate. And the, you know, the banks are the, consu- you know, the customers and the consumers. You're just trying to incentivize them to use their cards because MasterCard is a, is a, is a tra- microtransactions company, right? Like right. knowing all those things. And they said, so you do promotions. I'm like, no. <laughs> and that was for me a very like, oh, you have to own your own narrative. You have to package and sell yourself. And if someone isn't qualified or clear or able to interpret what that story is and how it actually translates, part of that's on me and part of that's on them. And then it's probably not the right fit anyway. Like, I also believe that everything happens for a reason. And I've been very fortunate in that way as well. Like, you know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of good fortune, a lot of great people, a lot of that like kismet moment where you happen to be in the right place at the right time. Or, you know, I told you the story, like the honest story, right. Where I went after that job. Yeah. Right. That is the old, that was my career defining moment of really going in and coming out Right. Like, Do you want to share, share a little now that you've teased the audience? They're going, what, wait, wait, what did you guys talk about? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I, th- I think for me, I had always wanted to be a CMO. Like when in Rick Burton's class, I stood up and they're like, what do you want to do? Because you had to stand up in the beginning of the class every year and say, who are you and why should we care? And the first time I ever stood up, which was a fail, by the way, I failed the test which was stand up and tell us who you are and why we should care. And I was like, I'm going to be the CMO of Nike by the time I'm 40. And that's not why you should care about me. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, oh, okay, lady, uh, cute little, you know, fine. Pat me on the yeah. head and sit back down. And yeah. 
you know, it was interesting. So as I had gone on this journey, you know, through entertainment companies and digital publishing companies and a startup that didn't make it and like all these things, the I got better and better at understanding like my skill set and like what I could bring to the table. Right. And so I, at the time I was running Story Lab, which was a, you know, help part of Dentsu. Yeah. And yeah. Honest was down to, and I just, in my soul believed this was like the perfect job for me. I'm a mother of three kids. I actually have a daughter with disabilities, right? So really, under, you know, we care about like what goes in on and around our bodies, right? It's, I worked in the entertainment business. There's Jessica Alba, you know, component. I yep. understand content. They were a unicorn, like, but could I, you know, I believed could be so much more powerful than they were in their way they expressed the brand across platforms. And, and I was doing this for big brands already at StoryLab, like, you know, General Motors and Microsoft and MasterCard and everybody. So I went to them. I found the CEO. I got myself a meeting by a connection that I had. I pit, I got the meeting. I pitched him and told them everything they could do better. <laughs> like, and let me tell you. Gee, I've never done that before. I've never done that eyes. before. Yeah. And I want to be your CMO. And they had had several marketing leaders. It's not, you know, I was not the first person yeah. to have this role, but I'm pretty sure I was the first person that ever like really pitched them on me being their part, especially coming from agency, right? There's not yeah. a lot of people that make that transition between agency to client yeah. and as the CMO, right? Like that right. was like a, you know, sort of a, a non-conventional marriage right. of skills and abilities and backgrounds and all the things. And so I pitched them for a year and I had a champion inside named Patty, who was amazing, so smart. All those people, you know, they had all come, they built a new team. It was all people from CPG, right? So I am, you know, the fish out of water because <laughs> I'm not that person. <laughs> I'm a person that's like, oh, look, this is a nice house, but I think there should not be a door there. Let's just rip the whole wall down and like add on. And sure, you did things right for a while, but not anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here I am right. to um, yeah. but, uh, but I there was a lot of actually good stuff that got that did get done and I'm super grateful for that experience. You know, it it didn't work out. And for me, like I said, going in, I packaged my narrative and coming out a feeble shell of myself uh, and feeling very visibly because there was so much enthusiasm and I was so thankful for everyone's love and support, but yeah. almost like to the degree there was, you know, I felt like there was no room to fail, right? Mm -hmm. Even because I felt like I was failing, not myself, but also everyone's dreams who had, who, who had <laughs> counted on, to yeah. Um, and so then repackaging, re-understanding, re-getting in touch with really, who am I? What do, why should you care about? What do, why do I care about me? You know, and then why should you care about me? Right. Um, became a very important part of my journey and why yeah. I am so happy now in my role. Um, but it was a very, like that for me was like, you really have to own your narrative because once coming out of there, recruiters, employer, anyone that would talk to me was very confused, right? About right. where they could put me. Right. Right. So how did, how did you navigate that? I mean, look, it probably became more about what were you identifying as the place you saw yourself? 
Yeah. And not relying on them trying to figure it out. So you really, as always, by the sound of it, had to kind of narrate and dictate that. Yeah. Right. I mean, listen, the, one of the first people I called was Michael Casson, And Michael said to me, Shannon, once a CMO, always a CMO. Uh, right. <laughs> and I was like, thank you, Michael. Um, but you know, I think for me, that's where I went on the journey of like, what's important to me? What's the, what's the role of my ego versus the role of like what I really authentically love. And it goes back to like little Shannon, which is like, I love connecting people, brands, you know, all the things through stories, but the stories can live like looking at strategy to like, I ultimately, I'm just a a strategist, right? Like right. I yeah, build things, I see things, I put them together like Same. magnet tiles and I'm like, duh, 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 duh. I built yeah. you a skyscraper, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I get it. I love it. And so, but I think my inability for a while to articulate that and be proud of it and understand that it was a real value to companies. Yeah. Well, you almost take it, it, you take for granted when you, that's what you do and that's what you know, and that's how you function and that's how you think and that's how your mind works you take for granted that that is a skill set. Yeah. And it may not be the conventional thing you see on a CV or a resume, but it is absolutely the secret sauce for why the people that get you, get you. Yes. Yes. Right? Exactly. And so, and I think it comes with confidence and maturity Yeah. and then staying true to your values. And as you just said, when you were a kid, you know, who, what you wanted and what you saw, like today we look at what we value in life and trying to get as close to what we value and what we do every day is the critical journey now for us. Yeah. Right. And taking all that you do, all that, you know, that secret sauce of who you are and saying, okay, I now understand that. And what really is meaningful me? meaningful to me? How do I want to spend my day, my time? What is the legacy? What do I want my children to grow up around knowing and understanding that they too should aspire to create that for themselves? And that's so important for us, right? Yes. So important. And I think, you know, you, you know, this isn't for everybody because not everybody has children or whatever, but, you know, my journey having children was significant. I went through IVF. I had my twins. I had them, you know, six weeks or sorry, three months early. Right. I was working at Warner Brothers. I got the job while I was pregnant. I was just telling the story that we're talking about this last night with somebody like I got the job when I was pregnant. I didn't tell them, you know, like there was just like all these things. And then my daughter was diagnosed at three with a, you know, a a neurological condition that will be lifelong, you know, and I had another baby like I think also what I learned in the process, right, which is not only my value system is not comprised of my work. My value system is comprised of my humanity and what's important to me in and around the people, opportunities, engagements that I that I give my energy to now. I there's reciprocity. Right. Like if you are giving me lukewarm energy or it's just whatever, I'm not giving you all of my, I mean, we all know I have a lot of energy. (laughs) Yes, we do. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. surprise. My husband looked at me yesterday and he's like, 
Aren't you ever tired? Like I mean, you've known me for forty years. I know it's like why there's so much to do in life. There's There's so so much much going on. Stuff. I know. I mean, I started meditating, Kathy. Watch out! Like I'm now on a meditation course. Like I'm like, uh oh. That's gonna take it to a whole other level. We're never gonna get any other content. I love it. I love Um, it. But I think that's true, right? Like I think there's. There's also a critical piece in that, which is this is not development of you in your career. Your reinvention is really about who you are, right? And these experiences that inform who we are, the people we choose, the people, you know, you and I have been around each other for a long time, but I would say, you know, it's been in the last probably year and a half that we've really kind of bonded and like now there's, you know, that that feeling of like real friendship and, you know, that yeah. those things can take a long time because they are not about the people. It's just about timing, right? The timing and the, and the busyness of it all. But then those people, right. Those are, that's also such a huge part of our business. Um, But I think anything we choose to do, right. Like anything that we choose to do, just this, this moment of reinvention is really understanding what you love, who you love, how you define that in the world and the context around you and what you make of it, what you do with it. Right. And to your point, to feel entitled to do something about it and to not just sit there going, okay, tomorrow, next week, next year. I can't because I'm limited. I'm a single parent with children. I've got parents to look after. I've got financial limitations. There is always a a way, A, there is always a way, as Diana and I add, the famous swimmer would say. There is always a way, and it may be a five-minute reinvention. It may be a 10-year reinvention, but if we have a destination, it's like putting a GPS, you know, destination in our GPS system. We're going to get there. We we can take the baby steps, the little things, make the connections, seek out the people that will support your journey. Nothing is impossible, and you've kind of shown that to yourself over and over and over again. If you set your mind to something... That you can create it and it may not happen overnight, but that doesn't mean give up on it. It means stay the course if you are serious and it means something to you. And I think that's so critical and reinventions can be minute. They can actually be so small you don't even realize it might be driving to work a different way every day and you're encountering different things that turn on different things in your brain it may be listening to types of music that you know you don't listen to anymore that trigger old memories that remind you who you were when you were 12 and what you wanted to do and I'm going to call someone that chain reaction yeah is not something to take for granted like really be present and aware of the effect you can have I heard Somebody on the radio saying something this morning about happiness being a full-time gig. Like you can work at it and you can make it yours. Yeah. Why not? Right? Yeah. Why not? I mean, you get one shot, right? You get one shot. You're thankful for every day that you get to show up, right? Put me in coach. Like here we are, (laughs) you know, I think the other part is like, Giving ourselves permission, I think, also comes with wisdom and and um, experience, yeah. right? Which is yeah. permission to get tired, permission to not do the thing, but with a tiny bit, like little things every day. Like progress is progress, right? Like I love to write. You you know you mentioned my yes. 
my podcast aspirations, which, you know, I started a newsletter on LinkedIn and I haven't, you know, like everybody, I have imposter syndrome. It's like, why me? Why am I a voice that people want to hear or whatever? But then I'm like, but I'm not doing this for that. I'm doing this because I love to write and like, I love to, to share knowledge and get what other people hear and think from that. And if, if they have a totally different opinion, let's have a discord. Like that's really interesting. Exactly. And let me tell you, imposter syndrome, if you're feeling you have imposter syndrome, bravo. You know, there are words like entitled and fear and imposter syndrome that in my world and many of us who have the ability to sort of look at it this way are the most positive, forward thinking words that are going to progress your life. Because if you are trying to become that thing, you are on the right journey because you are creating what you want for you. So, you know, we've got to learn how to reinterpret those words when they're weighing us pulling us back or weighing us down. Yeah. And what you're doing to your point in the writing, in the sharing, you have a voice. We all have a voice. Yeah. And we, we have, if it's one person and I've learned this through the journey with my book and my podcast and all the thousands of people I've talked to and interviewed, everybody is trying to figure something else out. (laughs) They really are. Right. 